Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let's dive right into this. We are, if you're wondering what happened to the book of Acts, we, we paused it. We were in a brief mini-series, if you will, called Legacy. And last week we heard from my pastor, our senior pastor, pastor, how many times can you say pastor in one sentence? Pastor Jacob Aranza. How many of y'all were here last week when Pastor Jacob spoke? And if you missed that, then you missed a message to our entire church. So I encourage you, please go online and download that message, listen to it. And um, just something something great is happening right now in our church. Great things are happening in the kingdom of God. And so I want to get right into this. As I mentioned, we are in this brief mini-series called Legacy. Everybody say Legacy. And I want to define for you what a legacy is. What does that word legacy mean? A legacy is the future influenced by you, but without you. It's the the future, not the fluence, the future influenced by you, but without you. Now, I want you to think about that statement for a moment, without you, without you. That, That statement, it means something. To even have the mindset of something that happens without us, without me being in it or without it benefiting me, that that word, you can hone in on one word that is actually synonymous with that, selflessness, selflessness. Now, many of you, when I think about, when you think about legacy, the first thing you go to is a financial legacy. You think about a financial inheritance that maybe is going to be left to you or you're going to leave to someone else. And let me just say this, parents, leave a legacy for your children. Leave a financial inheritance to your children. I know I'm jumping right into some very practical things, but I think this is so important. You may not have $10 million. Welcome to the rest of us. Right? Right? But to leave a financial inheritance for your children, it means that you have to think about your children's future. You have to think about wanting to set them up for success in life. And you may not have, you may not have the ability to leave them $100,000. That's okay. But leave them something that says, I'm thinking about you. I care about you. I want to make sure that you're set up for the future the right way. I know that is so practical on a Sunday morning, but I encourage you to do that. If you haven't started, listen, you may be 65 and your kids are grown and you're mad at them because they don't call every week, but it's not too late to start. Save up for them, leave something for them. But many of us, we think of a financial inheritance, which is a part of a legacy. Now, for others, well, let me just tell you what the word of God says. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, it says this. This is a biblical principle I'm talking about. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. A good person leaves an inheritance, a financial inheritance for their children's children. That means they're thinking generations. I'm encouraging you just start with your kids, and then we'll get to that point. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, well, I'm not getting one. When it comes to our inheritance, our inheritance is sitting behind an armored truck praying, God, I just need you to open one more door. (laughs) Just one more door for me, Lord. Right? But we can start, we can have the mindset that says, I'm going to leave something for my kids. So many of us think about that. That is a type of legacy, a financial inheritance. But another part of a legacy. Another legacy, if you will, is an inheritance of righteousness. Everybody say inheritance of righteousness. How you live today will affect the lives of your children. The life that you live today, the choices you make today will affect the lives of your children to come. Now, I know that there are times when when we wrestle through things as married, married couples and things we fight with and we're thinking, man, I don't want my kids to see this. 
But I can assure you of this, them not seeing you fight through the tough moments and getting to a place of victory is just as bad. It's just as bad. Let them see you gain victory over the struggles that you have. Because the battles you win today, listen to me, they're not just, the battles you fight today, they're not just for you, they're for your children. There are some of the things that I've battled and conquered in my life that I'm so grateful. Thank God my kids will never have to fight that fight. Because God allowed me to fight those generational things in my life, my children won't have to. Now, don't get me wrong. They're going to have to fight their own battles. Because all of our kids, like I teach you all the time, all of your kids have a sin nature. Not my baby, especially your baby. I talk to the kids' church. It's definitely your baby. <laughs> right? They'll have their own unique battles, but what I don't want them to have to fight is the, the battles that daddy should have won. Yeah. Right? So we leave for our children an inheritance of righteousness. Another inheritance that we leave for our children, another part of the legacy that we leave for them is ethics. Our ethics. Now, you may be asking, Pastor, what is an ethic? Scott Ray says it this way. An ethic is the process of determining right and wrong. The process of determining right and wrong. Now, many of us have instilled in our kids our work ethic, right? That's the ability for us to show our kids, listen, we work hard because we believe that is what's right. We have a hard, we, we are hardworking people with a good work ethic because that's important to us because it's right. And, you, and you're raising your kids in a generation that does not think working is a good thing. Whoever laughed really hard must be a boss who has young people that work for them. But we instill our ethics, we instill our morals, our values into our children. That is a part of our legacy. We teach them how to rightly judge that the world that they're growing up in. That is a part of our world. Parents, I've said this before. Let me say this again. Do not let the culture, society, or social media raise your children. You raise your children. You raise your children. What do I mean by that? Because the world will constantly infringe upon the culture that you have in your home to try and teach them this is the way, this is right and wrong. No, no, no. That is not society's job. That is your job as a parent to instill in your kids what's right and what's wrong. That's part of the inheritance of righteousness, the inheritance of good ethics that we leave for our children, teaching them what is right and what is wrong, how to decipher between the two. The next thing is we leave a legacy when we leave a good name. When we leave a good name, we leave a good legacy. I was speaking to some, I meet with a, a few different groups of men during the week, and I, I was teaching out of Psalms 112, and I read a commentary about one of those passages that I want to read to you right now. It says, nevertheless, he who fears God and leads a holy life is, as a rule, doing the best he can for the future advancement of his house. No inheritance, listen to this, don't miss this. No inheritance is equal to that of an unblemished name. No amount of money could equate to leaving your children a good name. That's part of the inheritance we leave for our children. We leave them a good name or we leave them a bad name. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You hear names and, and you automatically, you equate a last name to a behavior. Right? Hopefully, hopefully there's some good names that you equate to good behaviors, right? Those arsenals, man, those are just generous people. Those Boudreaux's, man, those are hardworking people. Those Washingtons, they're just caring people. But those Terrios. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Inside joke between me and Alan Terrio. <laughs> Leaving our families a good name. A good name. Sometimes our name gives us credibility with other people. Before we even get there, our name can give our kids 
credibility in other people's eyes. Before they even get there, our name can do a disservice to our children. How we live our lives, the name that we leave them is a part of our legacy. I was, again, that that same group of men, I was sharing with them the story of a pastor, and I won't say his name. But this man was a widely, widely known pastor. He was one of the leading evangelical pastors in the nation, was speaking to presidents, was praying with presidents. This guy was at the pinnacle of ministerial success in our country about 10 years ago. And he was found out to be addicted to drugs and living in a homosexual lifestyle. And when this news came out, it utterly devastated his family, obviously, and it obviously devastated his church. And now this man who sat on this pinnacle was exposed and embarrassed for the world to see. And he had an interview with another pastor that I watched a few years after that happened. He was in somewhat of a process of restoration. And this pastor was interviewing him, and he said something I will never forget as long as I live. He said, I have to live with the fact that one day my grandkids are going to Google my name or their last name, and that's what they're going to see. Part of the legacy that we leave our children is our name. Take your name seriously. Take your name seriously. This is what the word of God says about our name. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Some of us are killing ourselves for a dollar, but we're ruining our name and the future of our children in the process. When you're willing to compromise who you are for a buck, when you're willing to compromise your integrity and what's right and what's wrong because someone will pay you to do it, ruining your name. Part of our legacy is our name. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit because hopefully I've painted the picture for you. This is what a legacy is, right? This is, this is what it, we're supposed to leave to our children, to future generations. Have you ever, ever asked yourself the question, what was Jesus' legacy? What was Jesus' legacy? Because Jesus only lived 33 at the max, 33 years here on this earth. 33 years. And he lived over 2,000 years ago. And here we are in a building in Broussard, Louisiana, listening to stories about his life and trying to live our lives devoted to him. Why? Because he left the legacy. He left legacy. Pastor, what is his legacy? You are. We are. The church of Jesus Christ is his legacy. And he thought about us. Some of the things that I'm talking about, he lived a sinless life because he was fully God, he was fully man, he was tempted just like you are, but he was without sin. And he set us up for success and gave us everything we needed for life and for godliness. He left us a legacy. We are his legacy. Now, one of the amazing things about going through the book of Acts like we've been doing and talking about all of these stories and all of these things is we've gotten to see the beginning of his legacy, us, the church. We've gotten to see what it's like from the very beginning. And as a matter of fact, this morning, we're going we're gonna to rewind. This is not in our series. This is in the legacy series, but we're going to rewind back to the very beginning, the very launching, the first day like I've talked about. Because I want you to see what this baby looked like when it was birthed once again. After everything we've talked about and we've learned and you've been seeing it in action, let's go right back for a moment because this is the genesis of the church. This is the beginning of the church. This is what the baby looks like. Now, men, I want you to be honest for a moment. If you were in the hospital room when your wife was giving birth to your children, I can all but promise you what most of you were thinking. Please don't let it be ugly. Please don't let it be ugly. Please don't let it be ugly. Like, Lord, pray, Lord, let her be healthy and let it not be ugly. You see it, thank you, Jesus. Or you see it and you go, 
We can fix this. <laughs> we can fix this. Don't you all look at me all holy, Brent Richard. <laughs> That's what you were thinking. I want us to look at what the church looked like when it was birthed. What did it look like? What, when it, the church was birthed, its inception, the very beginning of it, what did it look like? Let's go back. Peter preaches the very first gospel message, right? The day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came down. Clothing tongues of fire rested on the heads. They began to speak in unknown tongues. People from all over the world were there, Jewish people from all over the world were there and heard them speaking in their own language, their own dialect even. Amazed, Peter seizes this opportunity to stand up and preach to the nations of the world right there. And he shares this gospel message of what actually happened to Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah that the Jewish people were waiting for, and he is Lord of all. And they're so convicted by their sin that many of them repent right then and there. And the Bible says 3,000 of them began following Jesus and were baptized on that day. That was the beginning of the church, right? And so after this moment happened, how did they respond? What did they do? I've read this many times, and if I'm being honest, I believe this has been the, the scripture theme for our year as a church. It's been Acts chapter 2. It's been the theme. It's what the Holy Spirit has consistently brought us to. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is how they responded. Those 3,000 people were born again. The church's birth, it says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Verse 43, and a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. As you remember, Luke is the author of the book of Acts. The same man who wrote the book of Luke wrote the book of Acts, right? And the book of Acts is almost the second volume of the book of Luke. And what he was saying was Luke is the Acts of Jesus. Acts is also the Acts of Jesus, but it's the Acts of Jesus through his body, the church, right? Same thing. And so he's writing to us and he tells us this. And what I just read was not just what happened immediately after. It was really a, a summary picture of the book of Acts. That one paragraph that I just read is a summary picture because all the things we've been talking about can be summarized in what we just read. That is how the church responded. That is what the church looked like when it was birthed. And we are the church. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We bear his name. We have his law in our heart. We have his ethics. We have his example of righteousness. He meets all of our needs. He provides for us. Not only does he provide what we need financially, not only does he provide the clothes and the food that we need, he provides his spirit that gives us the ability to follow him and do works and acts like him. He provides everything we need. He has set the table for us because we're his legacy. Now, throughout history, I want you to know, since some of you are going to hear some things and learn some things you may have never known this morning, throughout history, many people have, there have been many great contributions to society that were made by men and women who took this seriously, who took their responsibility to follow Jesus' model and to be his legacy very seriously. Let me give you some examples. I don't know if you know this, but Hospitals in the Western world were birthed because of Christianity. Hospitals as we know it were birthed because of Christianity. A man named William E. Phelps said this, hospices and hospitals in Western civilization are primarily an outgrowth of the teachings of Jesus. 
Riva and Cessna, they say this, the origins of the public hospitals are evident in the early Christian age when the Christian message led people to assist the sick and the poor and to establish centers for such interventions, initially in the house of the bishop, then in monasteries, and finally in autonomous buildings, what we know as hospitals. It was birthed because of Christians, because people said, I saw Jesus care for the poor. I saw Jesus help the sick. I saw Jesus touch the leper. So because he did, we're going to. That's why hospitals were birthed. That's why many of the hospitals you think of, they have a Baptist name or Presbyterian name or a Catholic name in their origin. Why? Because they were birthed by Christians who were following the legacy of Jesus. Many of you didn't even know that. That's one of the contributions that Christianity has made to society. And trust me, in the day and time we live in especially, you're going to have people who point to the things, the the number of things that were done by Christians, quote unquote, in the name of Jesus that are atrocious. There are some. There are some. But they don't hold a candle to the amazing contributions that Christianity has made to the world today. And I question if those people who did those were even Christians because I don't believe they were. You can wear a name badge that says your name is Steve and it doesn't mean your name is Steve. It's a side note for you. If your name is Steve, don't be offended. Education. The education system as we know it. Education was was very important to the Jewish culture. Jesus was a Jewish man. It was very important to the Jewish culture. Yet in many societies, read history, in many societies, education was only for the elite. It was only for the wealthy. It was only for those who who could afford to have an education. Christianity has something to say about that. The first legitimate universities were founded in the Middle Age by Christians, by Christians. As a matter of fact, nearly every one of the first 123 colleges and universities in America were founded for Christian purposes. Many of you didn't know that. This includes Harvard, which, by the way, was donated by a pastor. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Brown, and many other colleges were founded to help Christians learn how to love God with their minds to train missionaries to send them to the world. Now, boy, have they strayed from that. But nonetheless, that's why they were birthed. They were established by Christian men and women who wanted to further the kingdom of God. That is contributions made to society by the church. By the church. How many of you ever heard of scholasticism? Not the thing you put in your, in your waistband so that your pants can stretch. Scholasticism is something different. It's a philosophy. It's a way of doing things. It's a way of teaching and learning. I know we have, we have lots of educators that come to our church right now. So you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But scholasticism, a philosophy of learning, it came from a Christian man by the name of Thomas Aquinas. He made that contribution to society. And there's science, medicine, all kinds of different things. Listen, the abolition of slavery in Britain. Some of you saw the movie, Amazing Grace. But a man by the name of William Wilberforce was the primary driving force in ending slavery in Great Britain. You want to know who he was influenced by? A pastor by the name of John Newton who was a former slave owner who got convicted of his sin and wrote tracts to stand against that and and vehemently stood against slavery in Great Britain. John Newton also is the man who wrote the song Amazing Grace. These are all contributions made in society by guess who? You. The church. The legacy of Jesus Christ. This is our lineage. This is who we are. We are meant to contribute to society in such a way that points them to Jesus. That says we're going to serve people. We're going to help people. We're going to be there for people. Why? To help our churches grow? No. But because that's what Jesus wanted us to do. 
Because he touched the poor, we're going to. Because he helped the leper, we're going to. This is our heritage church. The church is the legacy of Jesus. Y'all with me? Acts chapter 2, going back to this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. What did they do? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Don't miss this because I'm going to give you guys some pretty exciting news. As the church was birthed, number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were disciples. See, in Christianity, here's where I think in, in many cases the church as we know it today in, in America or around the world has failed many people because we've told you, sign, raise your hand, pray a prayer, sign your name on the dotted line, then do whatever you want to do and go to heaven. It's not how it works. That is not how it works. Following Jesus is just that, following Jesus. Being a disciple, being a disciplined learner, someone who sets their life on the track of following him. And that is called discipleship. And discipleship is vitally important to our church. It is the primary focus of our church. We want people to follow Jesus with their lives. And for many of us, you need to learn what that means by walking with someone else who has been doing it for a while. By getting in a relationship with someone who is going to disciple you and teach you how to follow Jesus with your life. This is no, this is no like new teaching. This is what Jesus taught us to do. As the church, he told his apostles this in Matthew chapter 28, says this, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, and do what? Go and do what? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus told us, this is your mission. Go and make disciples. Go and help people learn how to follow me. Well, pastor, I I hear people talk about discipleship. What is it? What is discipleship? Jesus gave us the answer to that in the very same statement. He said, teaching them to obey all the things I've commanded you. So what does it mean to be discipled? It means to let someone help teach you how to obey the things that Jesus wants you to do. That's what discipleship is. And some of you, you're coming and you're attending, but I want you to know you're missing out on the best part of our church. The best part of our church is actually learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what the church is. I've said this many times. It's not the building. It's not the show. It's not looking, it's not listening to the good looking black preacher. Is that okay? My wife may correct me for that later, but... It's learning how to follow Jesus. That's what it is. Learning how to follow Jesus. And I encourage you, get into a discipleship relationship. That is, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, learning because they walked with Jesus. They knew what Jesus commanded, and they taught the people how to follow Jesus. That's called discipleship. The next thing they devoted themselves to, and this is, I'm excited about this one. They, devote, they were devoted to being together. They were devoted to being together. The Bible says they devoted themselves to fellowship and to sharing in meals. Church was and is to be a big family. It is a big family that does life together. They eat meals together. They connect with one another. I will eat gumbo with any of you. (laughs) Unless. Don't invite the pastor over if there's tomatoes in that gumbo. Don't even do it. Don't even do it. Don't even do it. We're, We're called to constantly do life with one another and to be together with one another. They were constantly connecting. Now, I want to share something with you, and I want you to hear my heart. Don't, don't, don't zone out on this part. This is very important. 
Something I've noticed as a church, as a pastor of this church, is we have two different services. We have a 9 a.m. service and we have an 11 a.m. service. And there are times that those two services feel like two completely different churches. There are times where I, I've noticed this, that by and large, not completely, by and large, this 9 a.m. service is full of older, mature believers. It's full of people who've been walking with the Lord for a while. How do I know that? And I won't share this with our 11 a.m. service, but how do I know that? By and large, during the 9 a.m. service, when we give an, an, an altar call or a, a moment to be born again at the end of our service, in this, it's in service, this averages zero to two people who raise their hands per week to get born again, which is great because all of heaven rejoices over just one, right? That's good. But you want to know how many are born again and praying to be born again in the 11 a.m. service? Anywhere from 7 to 12 every single Sunday. That is good. That is good. Here's the bad news. That service is half the size of this one. Which means that all of the, the believers who are there who need to be walking with mature believers, they're all at the 9 a.m. service. The 11, I'm not saying all of the 11 are just young, but because they're not. Some of them are maturing believers. But that's a problem that I've seen. And so talking about being together, I want to share something. We're going to do something pretty radical. Starting on November 14th, we're going to combine our services and we're going to have one 10 a.m. service. One 10 a.m. service. Starting November 14th. Now, Pastor, why are we doing that? So that we can be together. So that we can bridge the gap between younger believers and more mature believers so we can have people walking in relationship and actually growing in their relationship with Jesus. That's why we're doing it. Now, some of you may go, oh, Pastor, is the church in trouble? No. Let me just tell you, let me just put that to rest, no. The church is probably in a healthier place than I think we've been in a very, very long time. Very long time. Now, it's no, it's no fluff that whenever COVID happened, we lost a lot of people in the church. Many people didn't feel comfortable coming back, and some of which are listening to this right now. And if you are listening to this, come back home. We miss you. We miss you. But even before that, even before that, our sanctuary seats 1,100 people. Now, Pastor Scott Branningham will tell me that it's 1,260 people. And I will quickly respond that those are not Cajuns who eat boudin and crackling. <laughs> right? We need a little more space in our seats, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But our church is, thank God, probably two or three weeks ago, our church had the highest attendance of people since we've been, since, the, since COVID, since the pandemic. 680 people were in our service a few weeks back. So the church is growing. The church is amazing things. So this is not just for that. This is, I want you to be together because I want people to grow. I want us to be together like the Bible talks about in relationship with one another. When we do things like Friends and Family Day, you're not having to skip the 11 o'clock service to come back to something. We're going to all leave here and all do stuff together. We do newcomers luncheon for people who are new to our church right off the gate. They get to come. They're not having to miss those things. Baby dedications right after our service. Baptism all together. Now, will we ever go back to uh, two services when we need to? when we need to and not a moment before that. And when we do do that, it will also be full of mature and new believers. We want to do it right. Are y'all with me? Good. The next thing, they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Let me just say this. Prayer is supposed to be the foundation of a church foundation of a church. The Bible says I, the church is a house of prayer, a house of prayer for the nations. If the church is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations, why does it sometimes seem like and feel like an afterthought? 
It's not. It's the foundation. We've had a group of faithful praying people on Monday morning. Some of you don't know this. Every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Seeking heaven. And I'm so grateful for those people. They come and they seek God. Some of you are like, Pastor, I work. I can't be a part of that. Many of you know we brought on Pastor Josh and Ashley Messa on our staff. And they were doing an incredible job with our kids' ministry. But one of the things Pastor Josh is going to do is he's going to birth a Wednesday night prayer service. Wednesday night prayer. If you're interested in learning how to pray, or you have a calling for prayer, or you just need prayer during the week, or maybe you drop off your teenagers at youth service and you sit outside and watch YouTube videos the whole time, now you can change that. Come and be a part of prayer and learn how to pray. Why? Because prayer is to be a foundation for the church. They devoted themselves to prayer. They, they devoted themselves. They performed miraculous signs and wonders. That's what the church did. And let me just say this. Why? They followed the example of Jesus. That's a legacy that Jesus left to the church. To do great acts in his name. And let me just tell you, church, I believe we're going to see God do miraculous things in our midst. Not for the glory of any person, not so anybody can be on TBN, but so that the church can bring glory to Jesus. That's why I believe we're going to see God do supernatural things. I really do to make his name famous. And then lastly, picture of the church, they were very generous. They were generous givers. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. I want you to see how many times this was in here. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They shared everything they had. They shared resources. They shared, they met needs. They, they shared meals with one another. They had great joy and great generosity. The church is to be a generous church. As a matter of fact, some of the chains that hold our communities around us in bondage is because we don't recognize the blessings that come from living a generous life. When everyone has the mindset of get what I can, can what I get and sit on the can, we miss out on the blessing of giving and God blessing us. When, when you become a conduit of God's blessings, God will get it to you because he knows he can get it through you. And we, we stop up our own avenues. We, we dam up our own rivers when we block off God's blessing because all we think about is us, me, I, my needs. That's one of the things that plagues and curses the communities around us. But not for the church of Jesus Christ. We're to be a conduit of blessing and generosity to those around us. Many of you heard Pastor Jacob share last week the things that we're giving towards in legacy. I'm going to remind you briefly about those. First one, and give you a little more context as well. As a church, all of our campuses, our goal is to bring in $250,000 to go towards Tim Tebow's safe house. Now, what is Tim Tebow's safe house? It's a ministry that's helping to reach, buy back, which is a sad thing to say, Women and men, in some cases, I'm sure men, sold into slavery, human trafficking, sex slavery. I was reading an interview with Tim Tebow the other day, and he says this. He said, I'll never forget the day my dad called me from overseas and told me he had just purchased four young girls. Just purchased four young girls. He says, people buy groceries, shoes, annual passes to Disney World. They don't buy other people. But I had heard him correctly. My dad had opened up his wallet and bought as many girls as he could with the cash he had on hand. He bought them to get them out of slavery. That is still happening in the world that we live in. And we praise William Wilberforce and we praise Abraham Lincoln. There's a modern day slavery that's happening on our watch. 
we can do something about. I don't know if you know this, but Baton Rouge really in New Orleans are some of the leading places for human trafficking in the nation. In the nation. Yes, because of the events, but also because of the Mississippi River. They traffic them through our regions all the time. All the time. So we're giving towards this $250,000 towards Tim Tebow's safe house. Our goal is to give $200,000 to the retreat at Sunset, a ministry that we've birthed as a church. And I was speaking with Michael Hankins, the director of that, and he was giving me really the heart behind what it is. It's, 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 it's a ministry that's birthed to help people who finished through a teen challenge or related type of ministry who are addicted to drugs, alcohol, living just completely addicted lifestyles, and they're looking for that next step before they launch back into the real world. This is the language that Michael gave me. It's a next step program for men who desire to be established in a new community under the covering of the local church for the purpose of beginning a new career in ministry or business. We're gonna see people who were once addicted to drugs and alcohol get free from those things. And some of them go into ministry. Some of them launch their own businesses. Some of them become corporate men because the church cared enough to help get them out of the bondage that they're in. That's what that ministry is. We're also going to bring in $100,000 to Teen Challenge. And Pastor Jacob mentioned this last week. We're in the middle of an opioid epidemic. And I know we have law enforcement agents in this place that you can very much attest to the Sheriff Terry or am I telling the truth? We live in a day and a time where this thing is running rampant. As a matter of fact, the law, the, the legal system is backed up partly because of COVID, COVID, but completely backed up to the point where it's in some cases, if you're arrested for not doing, not selling drugs, but for doing drugs, you won't see your court date for years, which allows you to just spin out over and over and over in your addiction. Well, through a meeting with Every one of the DAs in the state of Louisiana, Pastor Jacob met with them and said, we will offer a, this Teen Challenge program, which by the way, some of you have asked about this. Teen Challenge is not just for teenagers. It was launched as something for teenagers. Now it's for adults and teenagers. We will pay for someone who is, who's um, been arrested for drugs. They're living in an addicted lifestyle. We will pay the $500 that it takes for them to go through this one-year program. We as a church will pay for it. We will pay for it. In this ministry, yeah, thank you. In a ministry that has, listen to this, these are staggering numbers. If you complete the program, it has a 78% success rate. That's amazing. If you finish that program, you have a 78% chance of living a life that is completely free of drug addictions. And we get you involved with, with programs like the retreat at sunset, if you're willing, to help you live that out. It's a Christ-centered drug and alcohol recovery center. I shared this last week for some of you, but many of you remember the gentleman who was arrested for diving off the Chafalaya Basin. How many of you remember that? You saw that on the news? Some of you have thought, that guy's an idiot. Truth is, he was addicted to drugs. And he's the second person that we sent to Teen Challenge. And right now, that man is in love with Jesus and on fire for God. That leaves $90,000 for each of our campuses. I'm so excited to share this. Bear with me. $90,000 for each of our campuses as well that we're going to put towards campus renovations here to help this church that is 20 years old at this point continue to be nice and fresh but we're going to put a large portion of that a very large portion towards that towards outreach reaching out to our communities now in 2019 I'm speaking to, to this is a family talk bear with me for those of you who've been around for a few years in 2019 we did a legacy and we said we were going to renovate the Hope Center with the dollars that we brought in. We did. Even with the pandemic, we made good on our promise. And we renovated that Hope Center. But, Pastor, what are we doing out of there? Let me share with you some of the things we've already done. 
Some of the things we've already done, maybe you didn't even know about it. We did a back to school bash where we gave away 150 fully stocked school bags with school supplies. We gave away school vouchers. We gave away free haircuts for kids going back to school. We did a, a, a renovation in Adam Carlson Park in St. Martinville, tearing down old buildings, repainting things to help freshen up the park for the community of St. Martinville. The partnership with James and Candy Bertrand, elders at our church, we went, we went to downtown St. Martinville and we painted the sidewalks. There's a, there's a strip of area where if you're driving down Main Street, St. Martinville, you go, man, this is nice. You did that as a church. You did that, painting the sidewalks, making things nice and fresh for the community in partnership with the leadership of the community, bringing the leadership of the community together who are right outside there with us, riding around on golf carts and painting sidewalks. We did that as a church. When the mask mandates came down in public schools, all of a sudden had to make sure that kids had enough masks to wear masks every single day to school. Parents who struggled financially, who didn't have the finances to do that, guess what? We gave enough masks. We gave 3,000 masks to the school where kids in that, in that school, St. Martinville Primary had five masks, completely free for them. You did that as a church. Last Christmas, we gave away 20 bicycles. We gave away Christmas presents. We gave away free haircuts. All of those things out of the Hope Center. But one of the challenges that we've had is, man, we want to do much more out of there. But we haven't, we haven't, there's been one piece that's been missing for us that we like, we have all of these resources. Y'all come up to us all the time. Hey, pastor, when you get ready to do something, I'll do, I'll help with that. I can help train people. I can do that. I can do that. One of the things we've been missing is the right person to help us pull all those resources together, put things on the calendar and organize those outreaches. By the grace of God, God has sent us that person. And her name is Miss Ashley Adams. Ashley, please stand up. Ashley's going to help us bring all of these outreaches in church. We're going to do at least one outreach a month in the community of the St. Martinville and in Bro Bridge and in surrounding areas. Reaching out to your communities, our communities. Why? Because we're the legacy of Jesus. Some of the things that we're going to do, job training seminars for people who need to learn job training, job skills. to Help them get a job. To learn how do I do an interview. I know I'm talking about very practical things. But we're the church. Jesus also met practical needs. He met practical needs. We're going to do VBSs in the community. Going out to where kids are and bringing the gospel to them. In their streets, in their parks. Some of you don't know this, but Damar, our worship leader, has already begun. And, and this is gonna, we're going we're gonna to raise funds for this as well. He's already begun getting in the public school system, setting Christian character clubs in public schools. So for the campuses, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Why? Because that's the legacy of Jesus. And that's who we are. That's why we're doing legacy. So I want to encourage you with something very practical. Last week, Pastor Jacob mentioned this card. I want you to take this card on your way out. We're going to have people in the foyer that are going to give these cards out. Or some of you may have the ability to get them out. You may have already gotten them as you came in. But next week, I wanted you to ask God, God, what would you have me give? And for some of you, that's nothing. Praise God. Pray. Please pray. For others... God may put something on your heart. That's all we're asking you to do. Give that. My wife and I are going to sacrificially give towards this, not because we're the pastors of the church, but because we're part of the legacy of Jesus. And I also want you to make a note on there of your greatest need. And let's pray together for your greatest need. Let's give your greatest gift and bring our greatest need to the house of God together. The next week, we're going to have a special moment where we can, you can bring that gift with you or you can make a six-month pledge and say, hey, in, in the next six months, Pastor, this is what I plan on giving. Don't put $10 million on there, please, <laughs> unless you're giving $10 million, and it's a different story. 
but I want you to bring the best gift that you have or the pledge that you feel like I can fulfill this because pastor, I wanna be a part of being a generous church because we're the legacy of Jesus. And I leave you with that. Why are we doing this? Because we are the legacy of Jesus. Close your eyes, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for who you've called us to be. You've called us to be the church. Followers of you, and if we're your followers, we do what you do. We see the needs that you saw. We meet the needs that you met. God, help us to do our part in this moment, to reach others, to help, to meet needs in our community. God, I pray to help us meet the needs of that that young girl who's somewhere in a nation, God, who's away from her family, away from her parents, who doesn't know what life has in store for her until someone rescues her. For that person struggling with addiction, God, and they don't know how they're gonna break free of this bondage, but you're putting the pieces together even now. Help us to do our part. We love you. We're grateful to you. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, you're talking about being the church. And if you're honest, you're not a part of the church. And I'm not talking about a membership role or whether or not you sign documentation to be a part of some church along your journey. I'm talking about the body of Christ, his kingdom, which the only way that you can be a part of that kingdom is if you are born again and you follow him with your life. Jesus told a a religious leader, he said, "You you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. Pastor, how do I do that? It's a simple process, really. A, you admit that you're a sinner. You're honest with yourself. There's sin in my life. B, you believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And here's the, here, here's the part I, want, I don't want you to miss. See, you confess. Confess what? That he is now your Lord. It's a commitment to him that you're making. I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to do it your way. And I'm going to pray a prayer with you in a moment. It's not this prayer that's going to save you. This prayer is just words. It's the commitment in your heart to follow him and the grace that he's going to give you and meet you in that request and meet you with that heart. It's going to save you. Yes, it gives you heaven one day, but it also brings you into his heavenly kingdom today. So with no one looking around, On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer to be born again. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. If you say, Pastor, I want to be born again today. I want to pray that prayer. I want to to meet Jesus with my life. All right. Well, church, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to hand it over to Hananiah. Lord, thank you again for this word. And I pray that your truth can continue to solidify in our hearts that we are who you say we are. In Jesus' name, amen.